A warning, this episode features dramatizations of violence, including descriptions of blood and gore. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the wampus cat. Today's episode combines details from Appalachian folktales with a dramatic retelling of a Cherokee myth. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Welcome to Mythical Monsters. Every culture has created their own tales of strange creatures and horrifying monsters, legends that are passed down for generations. Each week, we explore those stories to find the fears, anxieties, and wishes that gave rise to these incredible beasts. Today, we tell the legend of the Wampus Cat, a monstrous feline-human hybrid that haunts the wilds of the American Southeast. But where did it come from? And why do Southerners feel a shiver when they hear a screech in the woods at night? The answer lies in the myths of the people who originally lived in Appalachia. You can find more free episodes of Mythical Monsters and other Spotify originals from Parcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up, we trace the true origins of the Wampus Cat. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. If you live outside of Appalachia, you may not have heard of a wampus cat. But in that region of the United States, this creature is a kind of regional Bigfoot with its own reported sightings and eerie lore. The wampus is a half-human, half-wildcat beast whose screeches can be heard at night in the woods. The monster walks on its hind legs and has glowing eyes that drive anyone who looks into them completely mad. Its odd name derives from the Anglo-sourced phrase catawampus, meaning something chaotic or askew. 
The first recorded reference to the wampus was printed in the 19th century, and it soon became an essential Appalachian tall tale to warn of nature's danger. When livestock was killed or animals went missing, locals claimed it was the work of the wampus cat. Before the Civil War, slave owners used it as a threat, claiming that the wampus cat would hunt down any slave that attempted to escape. However, the beast may have been around long before the arrival of white settlers, as the wampus cat strongly resembles a monster from local Cherokee legends. The tales vary, but they all center on a young woman who goes against her tribe's traditions and faces a demonic feline called the Awa. Running deer crept low in the brush, keeping a sharp eye on the fox in the clearing. She'd been in the fields with the other women harvesting squash when she saw it slink into the surrounding trees and couldn't help herself. She was so bored, and the animal's bright red fur would make a beautiful pelt. So when the others weren't looking, she snuck out of the fields and followed it. Everyone said running deer was a troublemaker, but she didn't see it that way. She just liked bucking against her village's rigid traditions, which kept women in the village while the men went off to hunt and learn the secrets of their ancestors. This frustrated running deer. She was a talented hunter too. No one could match her ability to blend in with the bushes and sneak around undetected. And few were as skilled with a bow and arrow. But being alone in the woods also made her feel at peace and far closer to her tribe's traditions than being at home did. Running deer slunk low against the tree line, then froze. The fox had stopped and was looking around for predators. Running deer held her breath and slowly raised her bow. But just as she was about to draw back the shot, she spotted a little head pop up from the grass, a pup. The fox was standing at the entrance to her den. Running deer sighed and lowered her arrow. She couldn't shoot the mother and leave the pups abandoned. So much for that beautiful pelt. She slipped back into the trees and started toward the village. Her husband, Standing Bear, would have been so proud if she'd brought that fox home. He loved her for all the things the rest of the village found strange. In fact, he was the one who'd taught her how to hunt. In secret, of course. Running Deer looked up at the sky. The light was fading fast now. She needed to get home quickly, or Standing Bear would be worried. Being in the forest after dark was dangerous, but especially now. There was something stalking the woods around their village and preying on the children of their tribe, but it wasn't attacking them, it was making them sick. It began when a little girl shrieked in the middle of the night. Her parents found her dazed, as if dumbstruck by fear. The only thing she could do was point a finger to the woods and utter one word, Awa. The word unsettled running deer. She'd heard tales about the Awa as a child. It was a forest demon, she knew that much, and it looked like a monstrous cat. It had terrifying yellow eyes and wielded the power of fear. The Awa scared the little girl half to death, and soon more children succumbed to this seemingly invisible predator. 
As the plague of fear spread each night, it was clear that something had to be done before it was too late. Running Deer hurried through the trees until she found herself at the village's clearing. She was relieved to have made it before dark and returned to her hut to tell Standing Bear about the fox. But when she stepped inside, she was alarmed to find him sharpening his dagger with a satchel on his back. Running Deer asked where he was going. He replied that he'd been chosen by the village elders to join a select group of men. They were to meet that night to find a way to ward off the Awa. Running Deer's curiosity turned to anger. Take me with you, she insisted. In fact, we should bring the whole tribe. Everyone's future is at stake. They all deserve to know the plan. Indecision played across Standing Bear's usually stoic face. He sighed and said he couldn't allow it. He was happy for Running Deer to be his equal at home, but publicly breaking the tribe's rules would have dire consequences. So he kissed his wife and left her alone in their hut. Running Deer knew she should just shuck corn, cook dinner, and pray for her brave husband, just like the other wives would. But instead, she paced. She cursed her tribe for making the women live in ignorance. She cursed her own curiosity and her inability to sit still. She simply had to voice her opinion to the elders, even if it was a controversial one. This Awa was a demon of the woods, and in Running Deer's eyes, the village hadn't treated the land with much respect. The hunters came back with too many carcasses, far more than their village needed to survive. And every day, the rows of corn that Running Deer tended to seemed to multiply. They were taking too much, and Running Deer knew it was only a matter of time before nature started taking back. Perhaps the Awa was proof that it already had. Running Deer glanced at a bobcat skin on their bed and felt a twinge of regret. It was one Standing Bear had helped her hunt in secret. The pelt proved that she hurt the land sometimes too, but it would also make an excellent disguise. So she cloaked herself in the skin and crept into the night. Running Deer stuck to the shadows and tracked Standing Bear to a hollow in the woods. She hid behind a tree as she watched the village's hunters and wise men gather around a bright campfire. The eldest wise man, named Long Warrior, gave the hunters their task. Find the Awa and kill it by any means. If they failed, a generation of children would be lost, and it could mean the end of the tribe. Then Long Warrior closed his eyes and every other man followed suit. He chanted a prayer and asked the gods to forgive them for killing a creature of the earth, regardless of how monstrous it was. It was a beautiful ritual that Running Deer had never seen before, perhaps because she was not meant to. After the rite, Long Warrior told his men that the Awa's strength lay in its yellow eyes. As legend told, they had the power to drive a man mad by showing him his worst fears. Entranced by the horror story, Running Deer edged closer to the fire. But curiosity clouded her sight, and she stepped on a twig that let out a loud snap. 
The men whipped around, aiming their bows at Running Deer's hiding spot in the brush. A moment later, she scrambled out of the woods and cried, Don't shoot! Standing Bear was horrified that he had almost shot his wife. The other men demanded an explanation. Running Deer lied and said that she was gathering roots when she heard chanting and followed. But her answer didn't satisfy them. Long Warrior's eyes narrowed. It was forbidden for women to see these rituals, he told her. Running Deer nodded nervously, then turned to her husband for support. But Standing Bear just looked away, ashamed. Running Deer felt like a child again when her father scolded her for pretending to be a warrior and her mother stood idly by. She had to defend herself. She took a deep breath and spoke again. I am here to learn about the threat facing our tribe and how you plan to fight it. If that is a crime, I'll face the consequences. Long Warrior said nothing. Instead, he turned to Standing Bear and asked how he wanted his wife to be punished. After a moment, Standing Bear grunted in frustration. We have greater worries than disciplining a curious woman. Let us wait until the beast is killed. Then you may pass your judgment on my wife. Running Deer wasn't sure if her husband was buying her time or if he genuinely wanted her punished. Either way, she couldn't help but feel betrayed. Two hunters were ordered to escort Running Deer home and keep her there. As they tied her hands together and walked her away, Running Deer looked back at Standing Bear. But he was already heading into the dark woods. Running Deer was now a prisoner in her own home, oblivious to her husband's fate and worried about her own. Part of her was angry that Standing Bear hadn't defended her more, but she realized that, in a way, it wasn't his fault. Standing Bear loved her, but he had limitations. He was bound by their village's rules almost as much as she was. He had a duty to uphold. Running Deer just wished she could brave the journey with him. But instead, she was sentenced to wait and do nothing at all. She stood at her hut's entrance and watched the woods at the edge of the village, hoping against hope to see Standing Bear's face. But as days turned to weeks, he didn't come home. And as time passed, even more children got sick. The guards outside Running Deer's door whispered rumors about the hunter's fate. One of them insisted he'd heard a horrific growl from the forest at dark, and men's screams, too. That night, Running Deer struggled to sleep. Her mind was a whirlpool of fears. What if that scream was Standing Bear's, she kept asking herself. But soon, exhaustion pulled her into a deep slumber. Running Deer found herself in pitch darkness. She didn't know where she was, but the air was cold and she heard the buzzing of flies. Then a smell hit her nose, a horrible, rotting stench. She gagged. Just then, the blackness in front of her moved and she heard something breathe. 
Running Deer wanted to run, to scream, but she was paralyzed. Her eyes adjusted to the dark, and there in front of her, she saw the hulking figure of a beast. It had the ears of a wildcat, but the snout of a wolf. It bared its jagged teeth, and strings of saliva dripped from its panting mouth. But then it opened its eyes. They were huge and bulbous, almost human. They glowed, and running deer couldn't look away. Then, finally, she screamed. Running Deer awoke with a start to see a figure stagger into her hut. She was terrified that the Awa had come for her until the guards rushed in with torches. In the flickering flames, Running Deer was stunned to see the stumbling figure was not the Awa, but her husband. Standing Bear was emaciated and dumbstruck. Blood dripped from giant claw marks slashed through his chest. He collapsed into her arms, bearing the same empty expression as the sick children. The tribe's greatest warrior was the Awa's latest victim. And now all Running Deer wanted was to make the beast pay. Coming up, Running Deer seeks her vengeance and finds her destiny. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast. They say there's someone for everyone, a soul to share your secrets with, a companion to grow old with, a conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the ParCast Limited series, Criminal Couples. If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. Beginning February 1st, join me for a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Discover the extreme beliefs of cult leaders Tony and Susan Alamo, enter Fred and Rose West's real-life house of horrors, and experience the madness and motives of the San Francisco witch killers fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the Spotify original from ParCast, Criminal Couples. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify. And now, back to the story. Running Deer sat by her husband's bedside and begged him to eat the stew she held to his mouth. Standing Bear was their village's fiercest warrior, but now he was dead-eyed and immobile, trapped in his own body. It had been days since he was attacked by the Awa, and yet no one dared to visit him. It was as if his sickness, or perhaps his failure, was contagious. Standing Bear was dead to the tribe he swore to protect, and Running Deer was alone in her grief. Well, almost alone. She heard footsteps approach and knew it was Long Warrior, the only other person who seemed to care. The elder came by every day, and every day he sighed when he saw that Standing Bear's eyes were dark pools of nothingness. Running Deer had resented his visits at first. After all, Long Warrior had imprisoned her in her home during the hunt for the Awa, but she'd gotten used to his presence, 
And as time passed, she'd felt more and more alone. As Long Warrior sat down to gaze at Standing Bear's expressionless face, Running Deer turned to him. She grabbed the wise man's hand, her eyes brimming with tears, and asked if her husband would ever recover. Long Warrior was unsettled by her vulnerability. It was easier to hate her when she was her usual obstinate self. But today, the grieving wife deserved the truth. He sighed. We're not the first tribe to be haunted by the Awa. My knowledge only comes from tales passed down the trade routes, but I fear your husband's recovery is unlikely. The Awa's eyes have shown him his greatest fears, and he will be consumed by them until there is nothing left. Running Deer's heart sank. She looked at Long Warrior, her eyes desperately searching the wise man's. Was there nothing they could do? Long Warrior shook his head sadly. His greatest fighter had fallen, he told her, and the other hunters were still missing in the woods. There was no one left to save the village. Then, without another word, Long Warrior left, leaving Running Deer alone with her husband. She looked at Standing Bear and whispered, If only there were some way I could save you. She leaned over him and stroked his cheek. Then she caught a glimpse of something in the corner of her eye. On Standing Bear's chest was his thick necklace of wampum beads. Running Deer stared at it, taking in her reflection in the bead's shiny surface. She had an idea. When Long Warrior and his men met Running Deer around the campfire, they assumed she wanted them to pardon her crimes. They were prepared to be lenient, as her husband's failure was punishment enough. As long as she cared for him while he died, they told her, she could live a quiet life of peace as a widow. But Running Deer contradicted them. I will never live in peace. My husband is as good as dead, and the only thing worse than your disdain is your pity. She paused, meeting each man's gaze before continuing, Standing Bear might be cured if the creature dies, so I'd like to face the Awa myself. The men burst out laughing, but Long Warrior shot them a stern glance and the group quickly fell quiet. The wise man turned to her, his voice steady. He told her that if Standing Bear was attacked by the Awa, a woman was no match. Did she want the creature to kill her with her fears? Running Deer retorted, I am living my worst fears now. I cannot survive here without my husband's love. So please, let me rid our people of this curse. There was silence, then frantic whispers. Long Warrior stood, and the old man almost looked impressed. He said they had nothing to lose, and that he only had one question. How are you so sure that the demon won't overwhelm you? Running Deer gave him a wry smile and admitted, I'm not, but I promise you, I'll make the Awa face its own fears first. 
Running Deer asked for a mask to be fashioned in the shape of the Awa using the skin of her bobcat pelt and mirrored eyes made of shiny wampum beads. If the cat monster gazed into the wampum, it would see its own reflection and hopefully scare itself to death. Long Warrior placed the mask on Running Deer's head and painted her skin with a dark paste to hide her scent. She glanced at herself in the river and felt an odd chill of pleasure. She looked more like how she felt inside, wild and powerful. Long Warrior chuckled, I may be a bit scared of you myself. Perhaps we needed to send a monster of our own all along. With that, Running Deer slung her bow over her shoulder, gripped her husband's knife, and set out into the woods. On the first night, Running Deer trekked as far as she'd ever had before. She scanned the landscape for any sign of the beast, but there was nothing. The next day, she reached the deepest part of the woods. Everything was unfamiliar. Even the trees looked different. They were older, taller, and the foliage was thick. Running Deer scoured the forest. Then at sunset, she spied tracks that looked like they belonged to a gigantic wildcat. She followed them up a mountain and disappeared into an even thicker patch of trees. As she pushed deeper, Running Deer heard the buzzing of flies, and her nose picked up a terrible smell. She froze in her tracks. She knew that smell. It was the one from her dream. She could feel her heart pounding in her chest, but she willed herself to continue. She was close now. The stench grew stronger and the buzzing louder as Running Deer crept to the edge of a deep pit in the soil. Inside were bloody bones and scattered limbs. Some were from deer and rabbits. Others were much larger, human limbs. She realized she'd just found her tribe's missing hunters. Then the branches crunched behind her. Something was coming. Something big. Running Deer leapt into the pit and burrowed under the remains. She looked up to see an enormous black figure at the edge of the trench, the Awa. It was a hideous, dark gray amalgamation of cat, wolf, and human, with a body covered in coarse fur and iridescent yellow eyes. Hanging from its jaws was a freshly killed deer, which it tossed into the pit right by running deer's head. Blood splattered onto running deer, but she didn't move. After a few tense seconds, the Awa stalked off. Running Deer crawled out to see the direction of the footprints the Awa left behind. If she could track it down, sneak up on it, and look into its eyes, she knew her plan would work. She followed the tracks to a creek where the Awa was lapping up water with its back facing her, completely unaware of Running Deer's presence. Running Deer reached for her bow, but it was gone. She realized that she must have left it in the pit. Without it, she'd have to get even closer. 
She pulled out her husband's dagger and took careful steps, avoiding every errant twig. Soon the demon's massive tail was only a foot away. It was now or never. Running deer leapt onto the Awa's back and plunged her knife into its flesh. The Awa roared in pain, but Running Deer stabbed the beast again. It flung her to the ground, then pounced, its massive paws holding her down. The Awa had Running Deer exactly where it wanted her. But that was exactly what Running Deer was hoping for. She was now face to face with the Awa. It stared at her with its sick yellow eyes, and Running Deer had a vision of her greatest fears, a lonely, loveless life, and a meaningless death as a shunned widow. All of this was meant to sap Running Deer of her strength, but to the Awa's surprise, Running Deer sat up and threw herself onto the Awa. She cried out, you show me my fears, but I have already faced them. Now it's your turn. Running Deer fixed her mask's mirrored eyes onto the demons, and a force exploded from her gaze to burrow into the Awa's mind. An unknowable darkness from somewhere even demons fear. The Awa squealed in pain. In that moment, Running Deer saw the Awa's fears. A forest cut to the ground, baby animals crying out as their mothers were slain by men. Famine and flames and an end to nature's majesty. She could not help but feel sympathy. Then the Awa disintegrated into a black cloud. The smoke swirled around her, and Running Deer's mask sucked the smoke in, absorbing the Awa's essence. The force knocked her back, and then there was silence. Running Deer looked around. There was no sign of the Awa, only the sound of a soft wind rustling the trees. But things weren't so quiet within her. She felt power surging through her veins, and when she looked down at her hands, she gasped. Her hands were claws now. The bobcat skin she wore was gone, and in its place was real fur. She touched her face. The mask had disappeared, and her features were now feline. In her effort to destroy the Awa, Running Deer had become it. <laughs> Running Deer let out a cry of shock, but all that left her throat was a terrifying cat-like scream. She stood shivering as she listened to her new voice echo through the forest and fade away. She had never felt so powerful. It felt right. All her life, Running Deer had yearned to join the natural world and protect it. Now she had that chance, and she preferred it to living the rest of her days as an outcast in her tribe's eyes. Running Deer was free now, but she knew freedom came with a painful price. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to the story.
Running Deer crept back to the edge of her village to witness a celebration. She was overjoyed to see the sick children dancing around a fire, completely cured. But then Running Deer saw a lonely figure at the edge of the party. It was Standing Bear, and though he was upright and healthy, the festivities did nothing to change his mournful expression. Running Deer let out a soft cry to get his attention, then retreated into the woods. <coughs> Running Deer hid behind a tree as she watched Standing Bear step into the woods. His bow trembled in his hand as he called for the creature to show itself. Like she'd done at the campfire weeks ago, Running Deer stepped out, this time to reveal her new Awa form. Standing Bear pulled his bow back tight. But that's when Running Deer tossed her husband's knife at his feet. A curious Standing Bear picked it up and accidentally locked eyes with the Awa. He braced for terror, but all he felt in this Awa's gaze was love, his wife's love. And then, without uttering a sound, she spoke to him. I cannot return, my dearest, but I leave you with my love and a plea. Man and nature are halves of the same whole, and we cannot share this world without balance. I will do my part, you do yours. Tears fell from Standing Bear's eyes. He nodded in understanding. Then, Running Deer disappeared into the woods. Standing Bear never saw his wife again, but he felt her when he told his men to kill only the animals that were necessary for survival. He imagined her smiling when he brought little boys and girls on treks to learn about medicinal plants. Standing Bear thought of Running Deer every day, in fact. Making his tribe respect the land was his duty now, and he took it seriously. After all, when your wife is an Awa, you certainly don't want to disappoint her. Those familiar with the wampus cat may not realize its deep roots in the Awa of Cherokee mythology, but the parallels are undeniable. Both are cat-like monsters who drive people mad with their eerie eyes and illustrate the dangers of the unknown wilderness. So why do we know this beast was the wampus and not the Awa? Why do sports teams in Tennessee and North Carolina call themselves the Wampus Cats? And why do authors like Cormac McCarthy use the Wampus name in their novels? The answer is colonialism and settlers' tendency to demonize or appropriate native culture. Settlers saw indigenous peoples as a group to be feared and associated them with beasts like the Wampus. An 1884 Tennessee newspaper describes a hunting party in which a man named Dr. Ambrose states that he will bring the scalp of the wampus cat back or not come back himself. White settlers were notorious for the scalp trade, where bounty hunters would massacre native people and sell their scalps to the government for a high price. 
The horrific anti-Indigenous parallel is clear in the article. The wampus is both a fierce enemy and a prized prey, just like the ousted native tribes were. The legend of the wampus cat is inherently problematic. It's essentially a subsumed version of an oppressed culture's mythology. And yet, as it's evolved over the years, the demon cat still serves the same function of social control. In one Cherokee myth, Running Deer becomes the Awa after avenging her fallen husband. In another, she's turned into the Awa as punishment after she observes her tribal elder's sacred spell, which no woman was allowed to do. When the Awa became the Wampus, slave owners used it as a warning to keep slaves from escaping. And today, some Southerners recall their grandparents telling them to get home before dark or else the Wampus would get them. The Wampus and the Awa represent the risks of the unknown, or at least the perceived dangers of breaking societal laws. These feline beasts may be scary, but the people who enforce those stories to suit their needs may be even scarier. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. If you'd like to support the Cherokee Nation during this difficult time, please consider supporting the Cherokee Preservation Foundation at CherokeePreservation.org. The foundation supports not only cultural preservation, but also environmental preservation and economic development for those in need. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Drew Marin, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Vanessa again. Before you go, don't forget to check out the new ParCast limited series, Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits to married mafiosos, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.